Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Jeremy Rank is a certified personal trainer who began his own personal fitness journey over five years ago. He earned his bachelor's degree in exercise science at Dixie State University in 2018. While attending school, he became a certified personal trainer and worked full-time at Vasa Fitness for two years. While attending school, he got certified both as a functional strength and conditioning coach through Mike Boyle and as a hard-style kettlebell coach through Dan John. Since starting his new career at Lifetime Fitness over three years ago, he has become a corrective exercise specialist and has worked in various positions at the club, including the assistant manager in charge of team member development, the group training coordinator, and a metabolic technician. Jeremy is passionate about helping his clients move, feel, and look better through the means of personal training. You can reach Jeremy via email at jrank at lt.life, that's J-R-A-N-C-K at lt.life, where you can schedule a fitness consultation or a movement assessment. Jeremy is a great friend and a fantastic personal trainer, and he's here with me in person at Boundless Body Studios. Jeremy Rake, what an honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. It is an absolute honor to be here, Casey. It's crazy so- to see how far you've come, and... You know, now we're sitting here on the floor of your bedroom, you know, talking, talking shop. I, well, it's not exactly Joe Rogan, is it? No, not quite. But, you know, I think I prefer this. I could have got a chair for you. I could have made this a little bit more comfortable, but I, I did vacuum. Lotus. I prefer Lotus. This is <laughs> good, great. Dude. So good to see you. Um, um, and thank you for the kind words. We're also really um, so happy the way things worked out after the pandemic. Explain kind of what that situation was like. All of us were working together at the same gym at Lifetime Fitness and like, it, it's, it hit so suddenly and it was like, okay, you guys are out of a job. Like, what was that experience like for you? Yeah. You know, personally, I mean, it's all how you look at it. I mean, we're here today because of, of that process. Um, I think, you know, we took different approaches. You left and ended up, you know, opening up this, which is absolutely amazing. Boundless body. I just got done listening to three of your podcasts. Well, thanks you know, dude. I, I love it. This is how we get listens. We invite people to be guests and then it forces them and they, they feel bad and it forces them to get downloads yeah, I, and, and listen. <laughs> 100%. I think you've asked me about like three or four times now, always super nice about it. Um, finally decided to come on, but, uh, my own experience with it, I chose to go back to lifetime fitness. Um, at the time I've been training there for about two years, just added on two more years there. Um, I just felt like there was a lot of my clients already there and I was pretty well established and so many trainers were already leaving, going, doing their own stuff. Um, I felt like I could gain a lot of experience and lifetime was a great avenue for a lot of client acquisition, meeting new people. And I feel like I excel most when I'm surrounded by people with like-minded, you know, um, we're all on the same page as far as what we're trying to do with our clients. So for me, I really found it amazing to go back to that place and really uh, grow. And I've seen the benefit through doing that. Um, It was a little scary in the beginning. You know, you don't know what's going to happen if it's going to get shut down again. You know, I was out for probably about four or five months, Uh, but that was a great process to kind of take a step back, reevaluate on what you want to do with your life, uh, learn a lot more because you have a lot more time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I absolutely love my job there. It allows me to, to learn and grow. That's amazing. Well, we super appreciate it too, because we kept a lot of our same clients that we were training before, but some decided to stay at the gym also. And to know that you were there, you're such a short list of somebody that I would feel so comfortable having my clients train with. You just know your stuff so well. And so it was great to have that resource Mm -hmm. and just say, look, if you're going to stay great, go find Jeremy. He's going to be able to help you out and certainly, um, are so good at that and, and really great at what you do. Well, I appreciate that. 
Well, that's awesome. Um, I do want to talk to you about a specific topic today. It's one that we haven't really fully covered. And, you know, back at Lifetime, one of my favorite days was Thursday because <laughs> during that day would be our education meeting, which you would run for a while. And at one point we had to make it mandatory so the trainers would show up, which I thought was so stupid. Yep. Because although it wasn't a paid hour, like we weren't making any money there, but we were learning so much. It definitely paid for itself, you know, how many times over? So just the love and passion that you put into that, um, we could tell that it wasn't just about training your people, but it was about being a a top professional in your field and really continuing education and always learning. I always really appreciated that. Um, And so the topic I wanted to dive into today with you is mobility. Um, I think it's a word that's thrown around a lot in gyms and personal training and, and people's programs. And, and I don't think we have a really great understanding of what exactly it is. How is it different than flexibility? Is it stretching? What is mobility? And so I'm going to ask you to start there. What, in your opinion, is mobility? What does that word mean? You know, Casey, that's a great question. And everyone seems to have a different answer. Um, basically, the way that I would describe mobility is just how well you move. Um, if you want to dive a little bit deeper into that, Flexibility can be kind of defined more as like how long your muscle tissue is going or getting, whereas mobility is maybe like the skill acquisition of how well you can move so or the function of being able to. So an example would be like, say you're laying down on the ground and you have a partner lift your leg up and see how far you can get your hamstring up in the air. Um, An active or mobility would be I'm going to have that leg go straight up in the air on my own. So I could have a client where I could lift their leg all the way up and that they would have optimal flexibility. I could ask them to try and do that same thing on their own and they may only get it halfway up. And that could be due to hip flexor strength or quad strength. So there's a lot of people way smarter than me that I learned from, you know, like Mike Boyle um, or uh, functional movement screens where you can identify if it's more of a flexibility or mobility issue. Um, and so easy way to define mobility would just be how well you move. Mm, That's very interesting. So what, what is the difference if you have an issue in mobility versus having an issue in flexibility? I don't even know if I'm answering the question or asking the question, right. But what, what, how do those two things differ? Yeah. So I think mobility, like flexibility has got to be kind of something maybe that comes before, uh, mobility. Do you have the raw tissue extensibility to get into that position? Mm. And then I would say that mobility would be more of that skill acquisition of getting into that. So maybe your hamstrings are fine. Maybe your hip flexors are fine. Maybe your adductors and abductors like the inside and outside of the hips. Uh, But maybe you can't squat. You know, your knees are collapsing in or you feel some sort of joint restriction. Um, So that's kind of how I would approach uh, looking at it from a flexibility or more of a mobility issue. So say someone wants to squat deeper. Well, try maybe just going into a deep squat and hanging out there for a little bit. You might have a restriction a little bit sooner, a little bit later, and there's things that you can do to get into a better position. So for instance, uh, like foam rolling, static stretching, dynamic stretching, and then integrating that into the bigger movement of, you know, squatting deeper. Mm. So that's a good example. Let's take that as an example. What, why would somebody want to squat deeper than they currently do? What would be like a good reason that they would want to do that? And what would not be a good reason that they would want to do that? Sure. I mean, you could say just picking something up off the ground and preventing injury from doing that. You know, if you don't have the ability to go all the way down onto the ground with a good squat position, maybe you're hunching over, um, putting more undue pressure on your back. 
maybe you don't have a bathroom and you're got to go shit out in the woods, you know? Sorry, I don't know if it's okay for me to Absolutely. swear on this. <laughs> you do whatever you want. I, I speak freely. Um, you know, so that's just one function. I think a lot of trainers look at squat, um, like an overhead squat assessment as a really good metric for overall mobility. It can get a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, in my opinion, I think gait cycle, like how well you're running and walking is probably a little bit more uh, something we should look at because how many times a day are we squatting versus how often are we walking? Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. With the deep squat, I believe this is such a key and important movement that we have by and large lost. I mean, you and I have seen trainers that have excellent deep squats and you can watch them, you know, with their ankle mobility allows them to sit down and they can just hold that position yep. for seemingly hours yep. and could just like hang out there. Um, and, and so, you know, when, as we were revolving, that seemed to be a, a position that we would be in a lot more than we are today, where we're mostly sitting in tables and chairs. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Tell us how our modern lifestyles are affecting our mobility and what are some common things that you see? Yeah. So modern lifestyles, I mean, you look at, for, for instance, most of my clients and most people today are moving from more physical labor to, you know, maybe more of the tech industry, more computer oriented work. So you know, sitting is definitely, I mean, it's been equated to be the new smoking. Um, I wouldn't say it's quite as bad. I agree. Um, it, it, it's it got to be a conversation that shifts from like, this is good or bad to uh, mobility allows us to do more or less. So uh, one of my favorite people to listen to is uh, Kelly Starrett. He was the, oh, you got a book there? Yeah. Nice. Uh, Supple Leopard was his most famous book. It uh, came out quite a while ago. Um, you know, reading that really changed my viewpoint on mobility. Um, what he kind of talks about is, do you want the lights on in your house or do you want them off? You know, being able to do more movement is just going to allow you to do more things in life, more freely, more efficiently with a lot less risk of injury. Um, one thing that I he kind of equated was saying, okay, say your movement language is you're going to sit, you're going to lie, and you're going to stand. Cool. Those are three great things that you can do. Uh, but wouldn't you want to do more? You know, I would say a lot of people that I know in my life can't sit in Lotus like this. Well, you know, I'm comfortable here. Um, it allows me to sit and just relax. So I would say mobility um, is going to be something that is going to allow you to do more. And the, to answer your question, as far as, you know, how our modern lifestyles are affecting that, it's you are telling your body to do something and it's getting more efficient at that something. So if you're sitting down at a computer, you're slouching forward. Something I see often as a trainer is shoulders rounding forward, hip flexors are really tight and that can cause uh, imbalances and, you know, injury later on. So in, in grand scheme, it's, do you want to be living a life a little bit more efficiently, a little bit better, a little bit more relaxed or dealing with these little, you know, injuries that come up. Yeah. Interesting. As, as humans, um, it, it, we're, we're just really not that special. We can't run super fast. We don't fly. We don't swim that well. Um, you know, it, if we look at other animals, they really specialize in one or two things and that's what makes them really amazing. And with, with humans, we're really generalists, aren't we? There's so many different movements that we can oh. do, um, that, that you're right. Like, why would we limit ourselves to just a few things? Yeah. We are the masters of adapting. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. So, um, tell us when, when we're talking about mobility, we, we have to also talk about stability. Tell us how those two things are different and how they also work together. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, mobility can be, uh, you know, defined as how well you move. Uh, stability is your ability to, um, resist force. 
whereas strength is your ability to produce force. So if you are trying to, let's say, accomplish squatting, uh, if you don't have proper strength or stability, you're going to have a really hard time with that. So a lot of times we think of mobility as just stretching, being able to get into a position um, where that's more flexibility. Mobility is kind of a little bit of both of those. So are you able to perform the tasks that you're trying to do? And that's kind of where, you know, what I see a lot of in this day and age is like Instagram or these little quick fixes. Oh, you have this issue. Here's a one-off exercise that you can do to better that. And it can very well push you in the right direction. So I'm not, you know, talking negative with that. I think it's hard to get some information in this day and age, but I think the art of, of coaching and getting better mobility really comes into a well you know, defined program where you're listing specific things that you're trying to do and then setting drills or setting exercises that fit well together. So if I can give an example of that, uh, when I got my corrective exercise, they kind of talked about four things that you can do to, or a four-step process to increase your mobility. So one is to inhibit overactive muscles. So let's say um, overactive muscle, like we call it upper cross syndrome with, you know, trainers. So if you're slouching forward, shoulders are rounded forward, um, and you are working out in the gym, you know, this was me always doing bench press all the time because I wanted a bigger chest. I can overdevelop my shoulders and, you know, also doing my biceps, all those mirror muscles we like. Um, you can inhibit those muscles. So doing a foam roller, doing, you know, some sort of percussion thing like a Theragun or a Hypervolt, uh, foam rolling, something where you're getting pressure on that. And those deep pressure receptors can help relax or inhibit the neural activity into that muscle. So then from that point, you can uh, do some static stretching or dynamic stretching where you're really lengthening that tissue. And, you know, for some people, that's where they stop. Oh, I feel a little bit better. Um, you know, it doesn't hurt as much. But then you can do activation drills. So if I'm trying to get better shoulder mobility, um, I'm trying to even out that imbalance I have with that upper cross syndrome, shoulders rounding forward, I want to do things that are kind of pulling my shoulders back. So some external rotation drills. Uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners have seen people like with those rotator cuff drills. Um, you know, you could do like face pulls, rows, something where you're kind of activating the opposite muscle. And then from there, integrating it. So why would I want better shoulder mobility? Well, if I want to press something overhead and do it safely without compensating, then I want to get that in a good position. So for if you're trying to do that and you're pretty close, you can then do an integration exercise where now I got myself in a better position through the foam rolling, through the stretching, through the activation drills. Now I might be able to actually perform that exercise. And by performing that exercise, it is going to allow me to keep that. So pliability, I mean, as far as stretching and foam rolling go, really those things only last about 10 to 20 minutes until it goes away. So that's why it might be great to do a warm up putting in those corrective exercises to then get you in an optimal learning environment to where then you can actually keep those results. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. It's very well explained for somebody that might not understand this as well. Can you maybe talk about what exactly happens when a muscle gets stronger and what happens to the opposite muscle group that allows that muscle to get stronger as far as length, the relationship of length in the muscles you alluded to it, but let's go a little bit deeper into that. Yeah. So, you know, this is, there's a lot of, uh, polarization in the fitness industry. So before I answer your question, You're I, kidding. Want, I know, right. It's like, uh, that's why I don't quite have the balls that you do to get on a, you know, be doing these podcasts because, you know, your opinion could be against someone else's opinion. And I, I like to think that I'm very open-minded and I'm not super dogmatic with this is the exact way. 
So listening to a lot smarter people and seeing the different sides, you can kind of make it more of an art rather than a science where you are integrating the science and then picking what works best for your client. So one of my favorite sayings comes from uh, uh, one of my uh, people that I really admire named Dr. Pat Davidson. Uh, he said fitness is kind of like biting into a chocolate chip cookie or so you thought, and then it's oatmeal raisin. And then like an hour later, you're like, oh man, that's a really strong edible. So, <laughs> you know, it's just crazy. So anyways, to answer your question, as far as, um, you know, what happens when you work a muscle and what happens to the opposite muscle, if you're overworking a muscle, you can tighten that up. So when I was talking about bench press, if I'm bench pressing a lot, then I might be tightening up, you know, that, that pec muscle. But uh, some people argue against that. So I used to follow this guy named Dr. John Russin. I mean, I still do. And he recommends doing a three to one uh, pull to push ratio. So in order to correct something like that, I want to do three variations of pulling. More specifically, it's like two horizontal pulls. So for example, that would be like, I'm going to do a three point row where I'm grabbing a kettlebell, bending over, placing my other hand on a bench and then pulling back, making sure I'm shooting my shoulder forward, pulling it back. So protraction, retraction, that's going to help out with putting that chest in a better position because when you activate um, that lat or those rhomboids, it's pulling that shoulder back. So we call it agonist antagonist, um, where if my if I'm doing bench press, that's my agonist muscle, where the uh, lat and the rhomboids would be, an, be my antagonist muscle. So um, it kind of varies on who you talk to on what recommendation you give. Dr. Pat Davidson talks about as long as you're going through a full range of motion on both, you can keep it as a one-to-one -one ratio. Whereas Dr. Um, John Russin talks about doing the three-to-one and saying that that might be a little bit better. So what I do often with my clients is I might do, you know, a few more pulling exercises than I do my pushing exercises. But what I'm really going to emphasize is I'm going to emphasize doing full range of motion until, and that can vary from client to client. So for instance, if I'm doing like a dumbbell chest press and my shoulder starts to tilt forward at the end, I'm no longer lengthening my chest. I'm dumping into that shoulder. It's called glenohumeral glide. Whereas if I pull that shoulder down and back, I'm kind of getting a loaded stretch on that chest. So what's the difference between a static stretch versus me doing a loaded stretch? It's kind of just a better stretch as long as I monitor the amount of load I'm placing on that because it can be a little bit more vulnerable in a stretch position. Yeah. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a really okay. good explanation. Um, yeah, I, I don't think many people realize that. And we can we can all have different opinions on how to correct it because there certainly is many different methods you could use. But the principle of like, yeah, when you're overworking one particular muscle group and underworking another and you go and sit, you know, 12 hours a day at your job in a slouchy position, well, guess what? Like the, the back is going to get so weak and it's going to elongate it, allow the chest to get really strong and, and yep. cave in. And, and that can be unwound. It just takes the correct amount of work. Uh, 100%. Yeah. This is why I cringe a little bit when people are doing their own, you know, program design, they're just picking what you call the, the, the mirror muscles yep. and, and you see it all the time. They come in and Monday's chest day and bicep day. And so is Wednesday and Friday, and they're ignoring some of the other, you know, parts of the body that can balance themselves out. that can actually make your chest pop ironically. Yep. And I'm 100% speaking from experience with that. You know, I started when I was about 18 years old and weighed 145 pounds. And I'm just like, I just got to get bigger. And I want these specific muscles bigger and didn't even think about, you know, how it plays a bigger role. You know, if I wanted to focus on that, then sure, I can do a couple more things, but I shouldn't skip something entirely. Um, 
You know, and if I wanted to add on to that real quick, if you wanted to get a little bit more out of it, this is where tempos really play a big role in fitness. So it's not just looking at the exercises, but how you're performing it. So ideally we're using exercise to reprogram how our body is uh, moving. And so when you're like, we were talking about everyday life, you're programming your body to be in that position. It's comfortable there. Uh, When you start to get an ache, you know, the best thing would be to kind of move out of that. It's giving you a signal of like, this isn't a comfortable position. Uh, Then you got like posture police where it's always bad to be leaning forward. And I don't necessarily think that's bad. I think it's just a sign to maybe if you feel that uncomfortability to move out of it. But getting back to the tempos, if I want to take it a step further, when I do a row, maybe I'm holding like a three second uh, hold at the very end of that range of motion. So when my shoulders pulled all the way back, I'm holding for about three seconds. Now, when I'm doing my uh, pushing exercise, maybe at the bottom, when again, my shoulders pulled down and back, I'm holding for about two or three seconds as well, just to give my body that time under tension in that specific area that I'm trying to get. And we tend to make things super complicated, but there's one thing I want your listeners to take away from this is if you're trying to improve something specific as shoulders rolling back or your hip flex really tight, get into a position where you are having that not be the case anymore. So if I'm trying to squat deeper, I just want to hang out in a deeper squat until I feel that uncomfortability and then hanging out there for a while. Yeah, that's very well explained. And just as a review, um, the, the areas of the body that generally want to be more mobile and that you want to create that mobility, which, which joints are, are oh, the classics? I love that question. So um, this is called the joint by joint theory. Um, basically, you have or joint by joint concept. You have your ankle. I mean, you can start your foot, but most of the time I explain it with my clients starting from the ankle is your ankle. You want that to be mobile. Now, it's not you do want some stability, but. And there's always going to be kind of a variance between the two, but keeping it simple, we want our mobile to be very, our, our ankle to be very mobile. We want our knee to be stable. We want our hip to be mobile, our low back to be stable. We want our upper back or thoracic spine to be very mobile. And then we want our scapula to be stable. And then we want our shoulders to be mobile. So if you kind of notice the pattern there, it's always, you know, shifting. So mobile, stable, mobile. And what happens is if we lack mobility in one part of our body, then our stable muscles have to become more mobile. Um, So for example, let's say that I am lacking thoracic mobility, that ability for that upper spine to extend, and I'm trying to press something overhead. If you're a listener right now and you kind of round your back and you bring your arm up overhead, you're going to notice you're not going to be able to really lift that all the way up. So if you're trying to press a weight up overhead, you're going to either get a little bit of pain on the front side of your shoulder because those joints aren't stacked up correctly, or what you're going to do is arch your back in order to get up. So you're taking that lumbar spine, which we said we want to be mo- or want to be stable. We're then saying, hey, we need you to be more mobile to make up for your lack of mobility in those other movements. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's the potential for injury is overloading yep. muscles that are not designed to do what you're asking them to do. Yeah, totally. If I'm arching my back, you know, I'm putting more compressive pressure on that spine rather than having the muscles do the work. Yeah. So it's, it's keeping good muscle integrity over, you know, compensating with your joints. Gotcha. Let's park this stability thing for a second. I do have to share my favorite uh, quote there. You can't fire a cannon out of a canoe. I love that quote. <laughs> I actually have that written down. Nice. Um, let's talk about that in a minute. But before we do, let's talk about methods of creating mobility. And let's just start with stretching. What do we know about different modes of stretching? What most people think of as like flexibility um, is, is classically like a static stretch. So it's a stretch that you hold for 
20, 30 seconds. We had to do this before every football game, which we found out later yeah. was not probably the best idea. Yep. Um, and that's what most people think of when they think of stretching. Can you take us through um, different types of stretches that we can do and, and when they're useful and why they're useful? Yeah, that's a great question there. Um, so keeping it super simple, we have static stretching and more dynamic stretching. And we can go into a little bit uh, different variations as well. But starting off with that, um, you do want to do more dynamic stretching before you work out and more static stretching afterwards. Um, you know, over when I got my CFFC through Mike Boyle, they actually did like foam rolling and then some sort of static stretch and then did some warm up drills after that more dynamic. So know that it's not fully concise with uh, evidence based practitioners, but generally dynamic versus static. Now, dynamic just means it's a little bit more specific. So you're actually moving through a range of motion. You're not really holding the stretch for very long. So some basic examples would be, I'm going to be doing like leg swings where I have my hands on a wall. I'm pushing my leg side to side and letting it swing in front of me. I'm relaxing that, that ankle that where that, uh, my, my foot that's planted on the ground, I'm relaxing that to let it rock back and forth to get ankle mobility as well as that hip mobility. Um, you know, arm swings where you're just swinging it forward and swinging it back. Those are kind of very general, um, dynamic based movements. Um, you can get more specific with doing like exercise names, like single leg adductor rock backs or doing dynamic pigeons or the world's greatest stretch. Most of you guys probably don't know what those are. Maybe you do. World's you greatest stretch. Up. How do I not know about this? I, you don't know that one? No. Man, that is world's greatest stretch, man. <laughs> We're called Spider-Man in some cases. You uh, know? We'll link it in the notes. Yeah. The fitness, uh, the fitness world and the names, you know, it's like, how do you memorize all these different ones? Who oh, came it's up so with good. this one? You know? It's so funny. I was just talking to one of my clients about this yesterday. Um, somebody came up to me one time at lifetime and was like, Hey, my trainer's out of town. Can you like, tell me what this exercise is? I was like, I can try, but it, it classically weirdly, like all of us trainers have like different names for these different yeah. things. And she goes, okay, so what's a, a side lateral jump with arm flutter? <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I have no idea, but I spent the rest of that day pulling individual trainers one by one and recording what they would do to demonstrate that exercise. And we, we got all kinds of different answers. It was great. That is hilarious. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that there's many different types of stretching, but generally doing dynamic stretching. And so for example, if you got a squat day doing some sort of like a uh, deep squat pry where you're going down as low as you can, putting your elbows in between your, your knees, I can kind of push one knee open, push the other knee open, or I could like rock forward on one foot and rock forward on the other foot to increase, you know, my hip mobility and my ankle mobility. And then when I end up doing my actual squat, it might feel a little bit better. So that's a way that you can integrate dynamic uh, stretching into your uh, workout routine to make your workout a little bit better. And this is done before. This is done before. Correct. Um, what I've kind of moved a lot to is doing something very short and simple because I think I mean, how I, I ask this question a lot in ed meetings when I end up going over uh, some sort of mobility or warm up stuff. We actually covered it this week to help you know prep for this podcast. Um, is how many of you guys follow a very specific warm up routine before you work out? You know, and all the trainers are kind of like looking around, and and not everyone loves mobility training. You know, it's kind of one of those things. Let's add on a couple of sets of strength training exercise instead. I don't have a lot of time, um, and so there's always like theoretical. Uh, optimization versus practical optimization is what I would call it. And finding what what your client likes mixed with, you know, kind of what they need. And so what I've kind of gone towards is is the main benefit with doing some sort of dynamic stretching or warm up is that you're increasing your body temperature. If you're doing static stretching, you're not really doing that. You're kind of lengthening your tissue and that's about it. 
dynamic uh, stretching because you are moving, you are increasing that body temperature. So we have passive versions of it. We got, uh, or passive warm ups, which would be like you're sitting in the sauna. That's a way to increase your uh, body temperature. So if I have a client who has, you know, arthritis and they're training with me at six in the morning, you know, they just got out of bed, they're coming in. Hey, I want you to go pop in the sauna for five minutes. And then the treadmill and walking on that or doing a rower is probably going to feel a little bit better just because uh, that, that blood's moving a little bit better. Your synovial fluid, which surrounds your joints is moving a little bit better. Um, and then I might do like one or two specific dynamic drills like that squat I was talking about, or, uh, the world's greatest stretch and then moving into the workout and say that I have a client who I'm doing hip thrusts with that day. And they kind of have a issue with, um, getting that full extension on that hip thrust. So if for those that don't know a hip thrust, you can imagine your back is on a bench. You got a barbell on top of your hips. Uh, your knees are right underneath or right above your ankle and you're pushing your hips up and driving through it because of everyday lifestyle. If you're sitting a lot, your hip flexors are kind of programmed to be a little bit short. Okay. And in a lot of cases they're, they're weak as well. But if you have a short hip flexor, it's going to impact your ability to get that glute fully engaged, that full range of motion. And so something that I might do is have them do a hip thrust, and then I'm going to have them do a couch stretch. Uh, couch stretch is simply like a hip flexor stretch where I'm elongating that. So it's called a couch stretch because if you're home and you put your back foot on that couch and then one foot in front of you, and you're kind of in a, a stationary lunge position, then you're going to feel that stretch. And you're going to get more range of motion. So if I'm having a rest period for my client, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes, instead of having them just sit there, I'm going to have them do that instead. And then they should sub subsequently get better and better and better, um, more range of motion, equaling a better uh, strength response or hypertrophy response through that hip thrust. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Tucker agrees. Tucker agrees. Tucker yeah, agrees. I can hear him. I was like, "Is that? are you pushing buttons? He's a what? big fan. <laughs> um, you know, and if I have a client that has a lot of flexibility issues, then at the end of the workout, I might have them do uh, more static stretching. It's kind of a trainer format uh, or what we run our clients through our workout format would be like, Hey, I want you to warm up. Then we're going to go through our strength exercises. Then we might do like some metabolic conditioning at the end. And then we'll go through like a cool down and static stretching is typically um, something that you do during that cool down. Um, but I don't always use it as much if my clients have the adequate flexibility already. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's so interesting. And it's, it, I love talking to other personal trainers and getting into the trainer mind because, you know, it looks like we're just counting to 12 poorly and bullshitting Very with our cool. clients, but there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes as far as setting up the workouts, finding things that match the client's goals, sets, reps, intensity, frequency, um, where they have issues in the body. What do they have going on in their personal lives? We have to know all of that stuff as well, because that all plays into it. And Tucker still agrees with us. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I really appreciate appreciate that explanation. And, and again, sadly, I see a lot of people doing the static stretching. What we classically all know is like getting into, you know, a runner stretch or something and just holding before they do exercise, which again was actually the really wrong thing to do. You mentioned foam rolling as a tool. Where does that kind of fit into things? Yeah. So, so foam rolling, uh, you know, in the beginning I was like, Oh, like, aren't I supposed to be doing foam rolling only after the workout, you know, get, get some recovery. The idea behind that is you create about a lot of metabolic waste during your workout. Um, a lot of us think like lactic acid, it's really lactate or hydrogen ions that cause that burning sensation. 
Um, but you, if you do foam rolling, like after your workout, then you can push that metabolic waste and it can go through like your liver and your liver reprocesses it. You, uh, it's called the Cori cycle. And then you can reconvert that into like glucose and stuff. Um, it foam rolling is also a great way to enhance parasympathetic nervous system. So in moving, you just had a hard workout. So you do some foam rolling afterwards. It can help kind of bring you back down the baseline when we already got a really stressful life, that's probably a really important thing to do. Um, and then it has sets you up for a better workout in the future as well. So you can put foam rolling after your workout for recovery purposes, or in the case of getting better mobility, you can do it before your dynamic stretching in your workouts. And the reason for that is it's going to inhibit that muscle and allow it to elongate a little bit better. So yes, you can do stretching. Yes, you can do foam rolling in order to increase range of motion. And they got plenty of studies to show that that's what it does, but they only last a certain amount of time. But in conjunction, using foam rolling and then static stretching, that can work out really well. Now, sometimes you can miss the forest for the trees. And what I mean by that is now your workout, because you you know, for me, and this happened a little bit and it happens with a lot of trainers where you start to see all these different issues and soon you become the hammer and now you're trying to hit the nail on everything. So this person's adductor, there's internal rotation on their hips slightly off. Then you miss the big picture that in a warm up, you, the most of the benefit is increasing body temperature, increasing the ability for them to move. Or if you have a client that uh, is extremely overweight, I probably don't want to do a lot of the mobility corrective stuff right now because a bigger thing that can help out their mobility more than that is simply just losing weight. Um, and sometimes we, we miss that. Um, so foam rolling can be integrated before, after, or during. Yeah. I never got my corrective exercise specialist certification like you did way too complex for my brain. <laughs> um, very, very technical stuff. And I remember talking to a trainer very early in my career about some of this stuff and, and he, he, I, I talked about this on a recent episode. He told me, look, at some point you got to get your client's results and you can correct the shoulder for the entire hour. And that person might leave frustrated. Like, yeah, our shoulder's getting a little bit better, but I still need to lose 15 pounds or whatever. So you have to take that into consideration and kind of work on things as you go. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That's great. Um, is everywhere safe to foam roll and is everywhere appropriate to foam roll? You know, that is a great question. Um, the, the, area of the body that you're going to get the most benefit through foam rolling is just on the muscle tissue. So areas that you'd want to avoid is, you know, the actual bone, the joints, um, and tendons and ligaments don't have the same elastic properties as the muscle belly itself. So, you know, foam rolling tendons and ligaments, uh, not really going to do much and could be, uh, you know, argued to be not very good for you. Um, the one that is always the, the hot, uh, you know, uh, it's your it band that that's kind of the hot issue with, with trainers. I remember at lifetime, they, during the 60 day, we do this 60 day challenge, which you were great at, by the way, <laughs> never heard of it, <laughs> never heard of it. Um, we, they had like foam rolling the it band. And so some trainers would say to do it. Some trainers wouldn't, uh, the reason why you wouldn't want to foam roll your it band is because that isn't a muscle. It's not going to have the same elastic properties. So, uh, say you got like lateral, you know, knee pain, um, due to it band syndrome is very common with like runners and people that are always in one plane or doing too much load, um, or other muscles not working. And so that's overworking. Um, you could do things like foam rolling your, your, um, TFL, which is a muscle that sits right above it. And if that's really tight, it pulls on that IT band or your glute medius, both of those insert on that. And so by doing something like that, you could actually elongate it. Um, but yeah, those would be your main ones. Don't, don't foam roll the side of your leg. You know, a lot of people are just in a lot of pain and 
I, I'm not on the side of like, it's actually bad for you. Your lateral quad does sit underneath it, uh, but you're probably not doing yourself as much favor for how much pain you're going through with yeah, that. Yeah, totally. I've done that many, many times. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, I really need this. This is the thing. And you, it never gets better. You yeah. Know, until you focus on the right part. What about the spine? Yeah. So, um, you know, in the corrective exercise, they say uh, not to foam roll your, your lower back. You know, it's not optimal. What I actually have is uh, the company's called AccuMobility. So they take a yoga wheel and they have these little nodules on it, these little bumps, and it has a little spinal gap. And so with a lot of my clients, I'll have them utilize that. And so it's getting those spinal erectors to release a little bit. Um, you know, that's great for people that have a lot of compression, um, you know, and, and feel that tightness in their back. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't foam roll out the lower back, especially. I think if you got a lot of meat on your back, you know, it's fine to foam roll the upper back because you're going to be hitting those muscles mm. as opposed to the spine. Whatever your opinion is of foam rolling the back, you're going to get virtual tomatoes thrown at you. Exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah. You mentioned percussion earlier. So, so the gun looking things, um, hypervolt is one that you mentioned. There's a few other popular ones. You're either going to make them be a sponsor of our show or not be a sponsor of our show. Um, um, what is your opinion of that? Sure. Uh, I definitely don't think they're bad. Um, I think that they're a great tool. I think that people, I, honestly, the biggest thing is it makes people feel better. And it's just another tool. Do you need a Theragun? Do you need a Hypervolt? No. Do you need to be foam rolling for 20 minutes every day? No. But it can be something that helps out with you. And if you got an extra 500, 600 bucks and you care about your health and fitness to that degree, and you're putting your body through a lot of work, it might be a little bit better to do that than to pay a massage therapist all the time, but nothing's going to replace uh, the expertise of a good massage therapist and getting into that muscle and going in the direction that the muscles actually, the fibers are running. And so I think people think that that can replace it, but uh, replace a, mas a massage therapist, but I don't think so, but it might be a little bit better from a price point standpoint, you know, it's an adjunct. It's ad a tool that yep. can be used. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. That's super interesting for the listener. Uh, we don't abuse our dogs. I promise they are well-fed. I'm not going to go back and edit that. So you're just going to have to <laughs> hear Rex and Tucker freaking out a few times. That's great. Episode. I'm used to it. You know, my dogs are always barking at my house. So maybe they just smell my dog. <laughs> they have been on a lot of podcast episodes. They get more airtime than I've I do. Heard I them. I've heard <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Okay. So this has been a really interesting discussion. Any other like tools that you use for mobility? things that you consider um, really essential, like like a mace, which is basically like a big club, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can get more into the uh, unorthodox approaches with mobility. There's probably a lot of people a lot smarter than me that can talk about this a little bit better. Uh, my experience with it is I use what's called a shoulder rock. Uh, it was from a company called Kabuki Strength. Uh, there's a great guy named Chris Duffin, who's known as like the mad scientist, just a big old dude, you know, squats a thousand pounds and, and he Sheesh. thinks mobility work is, is vital. And so, um, doing things like the shoulder rock is basically this big, long mace. You can adjust the weight pretty easily. Um, you know, they have preset weights uh, with maces already. Um, but that one was kind of nice because you could upload, you know, increase the weight, decrease the weight. And it, I think that goes better with the idea of, of mobility as opposed to flexibility because you're controlling it through a range of motion in a very technical way. And so it can tell the right muscles turn on at the right time and the wrong muscles to, you know, stay off. And so it allows you to explore different avenues and, and kind of going back to Kelly Starrett, it's like, do you need those things? No, but it might be fun to learn something and explore something new, you know, get that dopamine hit of, oh, I accomplished a, a new task. And so, you know, one thing uh, that I, that I just thought about, uh, you talked about the education meetings, how you loved them one time. And one time you, you were like, I was super fascinated with the study that I put on there. 
And it was basically, uh, you had two different groups and you had one group follow the same exact workout program for about eight weeks. And then you had the other group that they followed somewhat of a structure, but they would kind of come in and do like one day you're going to do squat, one day you're going to do leg press, one day you're going to do a hack squat. So you're changing up the variety quite a bit. The group that did very similar movements and just did progressive overload, they saw better results in terms of strength and hypertrophy. Strength's very specific. So if you're doing the same thing, you're getting stronger. Uh, they got a little bit bigger, but the group that did different stuff, it wasn't too far off, but they saw way better, you know, motivation levels. And so I kind of call it a flexibility rigidity continuum. I got that from Breck Contreras, uh, who is also one of my favorite people to look at. Um, if you want a bigger butt, definitely check him out. Uh, <laughs> but he is or kind of pointed me on that direction. I think a lot of trainers, they get, go to school and they learn all these periodized programs. And it's like, oh, now you got to get your client to fit in that exact program. Well, you don't always have to do that. You just got to have some sort of rhyme or reason behind your programming. Maybe start off with compound lifts, do something in a squat motion, do something in a hinge motion, push, pull, and you get a lot more freedom. So I'm all relating that back to these different modalities, such as the shoulder rock and stuff like that. It might be a great option for a client that's a little stagnant and a little bored, um, but it might intimidate other people and want to start off with something basic. So it's really about connecting with what your client wants or what you want. Do you like variety? Do you like consistency? Yeah, that's such a good point. I love that study, dude. I <laughs> cite that study all the time, all the time. And I, I think it's remember. helpful for anybody, really. Like as, as a personal trainer, obviously that's going to determine your program design, which is very important. But even if you're out on your own and you're training by yourself, it's really important to know what your personality is. Do you do better with more variety or can you be more consistent? I've got a client that I train today that we can do the exact same workout every time, three days a week. He doesn't mind. It's totally fine. He doesn't need anything different. We work on the same basic movements, deadlift and squatting and some rows. And, and, and we just kind of stick to that. And he's totally fine with it. I've got another client that if I do the same workout twice ever, like I, I would be fired. He would not hire mm -hmm. me anymore. And I've worked with him for like 13 years at this point. So that's kind of a challenge. I always right. have to come up with new things and new combinations of things. So I think that's so important to talk about it as far as like choosing, you know, consistency versus flexibility in what you're doing. Absolutely. I, I love always that. get that ugh again. And it's like, oh, you know, we, we, we can totally switch it up, try yep. something new in many ways, many paths to roam, you know, yeah, totally how, think about a row. One of the best exercises you can do. How many thousands of different ways can you do a row? You can do it seated, standing machine, TRX, dumbbell, kettlebell, all kinds of different stuff. And even if, if you're just changing up reps or, you know, rest periods or whatever, you can, that's still so much. Yep that you can do. That's awesome. So let's go back to stability. Um, again, I don't think we can talk about mobility without talking about the importance of stability. What areas of the body do we want to be stable and how do we accomplish that? Yeah. So kind of going back to that joint by joint approach, you know, with the ankle being mobile. So the first uh, muscle, I mean, you, you could start with your foot. You really want your foot to be stable. So a lot of times with my clients, you know, if I'm coaching them to do a squat, um, I'm going to have them focus that their, their foot is, you know, a tripod. Uh, you want to try and get it on the, the balls of your feet as well as your heel and put even pressure throughout. Um, that's going to help out with the stabilization of your knee, the stabilization of your lower back. It kind of all starts there. Um, there are specific tests that you can do to look at stability of each side. Um, usually you want to look at your mobility before you look at the stability. Uh, so for instance, I would look at a client's uh, ankle mobility and their hip mobility before I look at their, their knee stability. Um, so a way to look at knee stability and see how well that is, is doing like a single leg, uh, squat to a bench. 
how well are they able to control that knee? Is it collapsing in? You know, we call it valgus. Um, are you pronating your foot in so you don't have good stability in your foot? Um, being able to work on those is super important. Um, and, and the way you get it better is a lot of times the assessment is a great way to actually work on that as well. Um, I think the biggest missing factor, you know, we throw out all these words and it's sometimes hard to define, like what's the difference between balance and stability or strength, you know, or activation of something. Um, I would say that stability is, like I said before, your ability to resist force. And so trying to find a way, and this is the importance of like progressions and regressions with your clients is if I have someone that has can like barely squat, I probably don't want them to do a single leg squat. But if balance and stability is super important to them, which, you know, it should be for everyday life, uh, maybe I start them off on something like a single leg leg press where it's kind of specific, where they're using one leg at a time and they're going to get some added strength in that in that movement. And then I might progress them to doing like a really high box single leg squat or utilizing something which helps out with your stability, like a TRX, and then slowly taking progressions to wean them off of that. So I could have them do like, you know, I did this today with a client where I had them put a lacrosse ball under their uh, foot that's not actually pressing. So if they're doing a single leg squat, they got one foot on the ground, they got the other foot on a lacrosse ball. And that gives them just enough stability, but I'm having them push a lot more on that stance leg. Um, and just, you know, cueing them to control that foot, not let it pronate in, drive the knee over the toe. Uh, don't let that knee collapse in and, you know, just seeing how they do and progress and regress from there. Mm, that's great. That's very well explained. Um, you mentioned screening, which I think is really important as well. Is there a favorite screening tool that you use? You know, I've kind of bounced around in the fitness industry quite a bit on that. Uh, I used to, and I know you did this too. We did the functional movement screen quite a bit. Um, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on it. Uh, it really depends on my client. So if I have a client that is, you know, coming out of physical therapy and they are more on the, you know, rehab side of things, prehab kind of side of things, and they want a super in-depth look and they ask for that, then I'll probably do the functional movement screen. Uh, for a majority of my clients, I usually stick with like an overhead squat and active straight leg raise, and then I'll do like a wall angel test. And so those specific tests will look at things like hip mobility, um, you know, shoulder mobility, and really seeing it all integrated in that overhead squat. Mm. Um, the, the analogy I believe came from Dr. Pat Davidson, where he said, using a functional movement screen is kind of like a NASCAR pit stop, uh, you know, being worked on like a civic, you know, you don't necessarily need uh, that intense of a mobility assessment for someone that's just coming in to try and like lose weight or build muscle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I the FMS, the functional movement screen, I enjoy because it gives you an objective number to yeah. something that is very subjective. And at the end of the day, I do use this subjectivity a lot more. Like basically I can kind of sort of tell what's going on when somebody walks in to see me, you can mm -hmm. already see shoulders and hips and knees and things like that. It's nice to have an assessment to kind of dial into those things, but I like to, you know, I like the objectivity of having a score, but also understanding that these are tools that will tell a professional, like, here's the overall story and here's the direction that you can move. Is that how, how you think of it? Yeah, 100%. And it's like, this is the hard part uh, with, with training is it's like, man, if I knew this person was with me for three days a week, they did everything that I absolutely said, I know I could get them better results. Uh, but the process 
of doing that isn't always uh, like you got to get get buy in from from the people that you're talking to. And so your ability to meet them with where they're at, as opposed to, you know, theoretical optimization, you're going for that practical route. And, you know, the FMS, I feel like uh, for me, it was okay, I'm gonna you're gonna come in, we'll do a consultation, get to meet you, get to know you a little bit, uh, rush through this assessment really quick. And then it's like, now we're going to go through a bunch of mobility drills to address that. And so you end up getting like three sessions, two or three sessions in, and you haven't really even worked out as much. Versus Nick Tuminello, he's another great fitness professional out there that kind of brought me on to, you can get a lot of, out of assess, or a lot of assessments done through just seeing someone work out. And you're getting a lot of that benefit of mobility just by resistance training. There's a lot of research out there that shows that resistance training is just as, um, just as good as mobility and flexibility training for increasing that mobility. So, you know, like I said earlier, if you want to get a better squat, you know, squatting is a great way to do that as opposed to, you know, spending 20 minutes doing all this mobility and flexibility training. Now, the benefit of doing flexibility mobility training is that can be a little bit easier and not as hard on your body. You know, I can do 15 sets or 15 reps of a squat for three sets, you know, choosing an adequate weight, but that's a lot of work as well. And so if you're a little bit tired, a little bit beat up, maybe you're sick or something, you can still get some sort of movement in that requires a lot less energy. Mm. Yeah. It's so nuanced, isn't it? So many mm -hmm. different approaches. That's cool. Um, through your career, like I remember when I started, um, functional training was all the rage and everybody was doing, you know, craziest looking exercises that you possibly could like standing on BOSU, standing on stability balls, Airx pads, doing these weird lifts, seemingly like juggling dumbbells on fire or something. Yep. Um, what do you think of both terms, both the functional training and then also not the term, but I guess using balance training. Do you, do you do that as much now yeah. you do? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have people standing on, you know, one leg on a BOSU ball, you know, uh, throwing a medicine ball around their back. Um, but I do absolutely help my clients out with balance and all of that. Um, I think, like you said, everything's a little bit nuanced. And uh, if, if I were to get into, let's say I'm trying to increase someone's, someone's balance uh, and they have a hard time standing on one leg, yeah. why would I have them stand on a BOSU ball on one leg? You know, and you get all these fancy words thrown around as far as like proprioception, which is kind of like the mapping of your body. You're turning on your stabilizer muscles and, you know, that very well could be a progression. But then you talk about functionality. When are you ever standing on one leg on a BOSU ball on an unstable surface? You know, and I can attribute that, you know, you can't fire a cannon from a canoe, um, you know, saying in this in this particular um, situation where if I'm trying to increase someone's strength as well as their balance and stability, uh, if I have them that there's like an inverse relationship. So the more stability required in a movement, the less strength output that you can have. And so if I have someone on a BOSU ball doing a single leg deadlift, they're going to be able to do a lot less weight and sure they're getting a little bit better stability, but in what functional capacity, uh, for me, I mean, I don't know about you, but I see something on the ground. I will be on, you know, I'll do a single leg deadlift and go grab that thing. You know, working a, a lifetime, we always, you know, you'll see something on the ground. We, our rules always, we pick it up, we throw it in the trash and I'm doing that, you know, 20 times a day. Um, there are some cases where I will have them, you know, do it on a power plate or an Eric's pad, but usually that's uh, more rehab based settings. Um, someone coming back from injury um, or, in particular cases of clients that are actually 
uh, trying to get that function. So for an example would be here in Utah, a lot of people skiing, uh, they're doing a lot of moguls, you know, they, they got to have good stability. They got to have good control of that impact. And I think a Bosu ball or an Eric's pad could simulate that pretty well, or you could have someone be doing a squat and just be doing pulses where they're getting that absorption of force. Um, or, you know, box jumps where they're, uh, trying to reduce the impact and have good landing mechanics. Um, so it can be kind of nuanced with what exactly you should do, but I think for the majority of your listeners, uh, try and stay away from the super fancy stuff, stick to the foundation and, you know, get really good with, uh, doing things on the ground or how you do it in everyday life. Yeah. I was just thinking like for the listener also, like this is something you can work on while you brush your teeth, you know, start on a hard surface, start, you know, with, with maybe your hand out for a little light support and see if you can improve that over time. Then you can transition onto a softer surface, like a a mat or something. You could add some movement, um, whatever, but that those are simple things that you can work on at home before you get too crazy with things at the gym. Yep. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And you also asked me a little bit about function. And, uh, you know, this is one of those nuanced things again, uh, functional training is one of those buzzwords and, and what does it really mean? You know, you kind of, uh, alluded to it, people doing some crazy stuff on the BOSU balls or mini bands, or, you know, you have kettlebells hanging down from a bar, you know, all those are great. Um, but I would say function is just, I mean, when most people think of it, it's like, I'm going to do a barbell back squat as opposed to a leg press, you know, you're never really. Uh, sitting down in a position, pushing, you know, 400 pounds away from your body, but you sometimes are going to be picking something heavy up and you do need those stabilizer muscles. But I think function is depends on the person. And so if you are, let's say you're a cyclist and you are trying to improve your cycle time, uh, that could be very functional to be doing a knee extension exercise where you are Usually for my clients, a lot of times knee extensions come in the form of doing a lot of high repetitions, increasing blood flow to that muscle. And it's a lot safer of a a version to do high repetitions on that than to be doing a high repetition of a complex exercise. So, you know, I kind of swung on the pendulum when I first started training. I did like all bodybuilding approach, um, you know, and I never ended up doing a lot of this, what most people think of as functional training. And I do think I missed out on some benefit with that. But I think that uh, for the most part, it's really depends on that individual. And so getting back to the the bicycle um, and the knee extension, if I'm trying to increase my ability to uh, push harder on my bike, if I'm increasing the amount of blood flow to my quads, I'm going to start to feel a burn. Now, your body is having a specific adaptation to being able to recycle that metabolic waste. And so they actually have done research on that with knee extension exercises and it helping out with your, um, you know, bicycle or your cycling. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, That's a little disheartening because I want to have big biceps, but I also want to get faster on the bike. So you're saying that's not the best way to do that. (laughs) You can have both. both. (laughs) Uh, that no, that's very well explained. Again, all of this goes back to that same word, the function. What do you, what are you seeking in life? What movements do you need to do and how can you do them, you know, safely for the rest of your life? It's so critical to consider all of these things. And, and again, there are so many different ways that you can handle each yeah. of these. Um, I, I, you know, just, just catching up with you and, and talking to you again, I, you, you really realize the difference between somebody who does things uh, because they like to, and, and it's, it's, you know, they're amateurs at it. Like my biking, I'm a very, very, very amateur cyclist. Um, and I don't do it if it rains, I don't do it if it snows versus a professional does it regardless. And they always keep pushing. They always keep learning. Tell us, 
tell us the importance for you of doing something in your craft so many times, getting the rep so many times to become a true professional. And this could be applicable for a trainer or for frankly, any profession in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I heard on one of your previous podcasts, like the, the, and I might be saying this wrong, but the further out in the water you go, the deeper it gets. Peter Atiyah. Peter Atiyah. Okay, great. Um, you know, or you have the, the Dunning Kruger effect where you first start out and you think you, you know it all. And then the more you get into it, you get a little bit of imposter syndrome because you realize how much, uh, really there is out there and then you become an expert. And, you know, I think for me, I'm, I'm far away from that. Um, and that's why it's been really important to me to get a lot of experience, um, and being very open-minded and not dogmatic with, with my viewpoints. Um, often looking at different people with different arguments and seeing what they have, you know? So for example, you know, these are things that are on my mind. I'm kind of a anxious human being and that's why, you know, I love focusing on my nutrition and focusing on, on exercise because that's a good remedy for that. Um, I always saw my anxiety as something that was, was really negative, but it became kind of a superpower in the fitness industry. Cause it's like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? And then it helps you di- uh, dive deeper. And so for example, uh, with, uh, let's, let's take the squat. Uh, I, we were looking in the ed meeting the other day we, there's this guy named Dr. Aaron Horshig, I believe he's super famous on Instagram. We're uh, going to have him on the show in a few weeks. Are you really? Yeah. Squat That's university. Awesome. Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, we had one of the trainers give a, um, education meeting on the squat Bible. And, you know, one of his cues is to, uh, with your feet, I want you to focus on externally rotating. That's going to help out the stability of your hips and the stability of your feet. And it's going to drive the knees, you know, over the toes and get you in a good position. Um, Dr. Pat Davidson and, and this guy named Ben Yanes, who kind of studies under him, their Instagram, they just had a post a couple weeks ago about how, uh, that's not the best cue. And if you're applying too much external force that can cause like some, um, a sheer force on the knee. And what you should really just be focusing on is just driving that knee over the foot. So you're kind of overdoing it. So you get a lot of these professionals kind of dis- disagreeing with each other. Um, and so for me, that's why it's super important to, you know, continue on and continue learning and continue growing because, you know, the honest answer is like, it, these are two very smart individuals that have spent their whole entire life studying and, uh, you know, we're applying different research to you know, do our best guessing. Yeah. I, there's one time I, uh, heard you, uh, in an onboarding session lifetime, which is like a fitness consultation, talking to someone. And you said to, uh, the person like what you're going to get from someone that really kind of knows their stuff is not these absolute answers. You're going to get, well, this could help this. It depends maybe, you know, and I feel like that's something that you get a lot in the scientific community is a lot of these, if, maybes it depends you know and so for me it's like a never-ending thing the further out in the water i go the deeper it's going to get and i think it's just super important for me and everyone else to you know not lose the forest for the trees again um so yeah i don't know if i answered your question there but no yeah absolutely i think it takes a level of humility to know that you you don't know everything there is to know and there are different ways that also work you know i get pigeonholed in nutrition all the time and you know i'm a huge fan of ketogenic low carbohydrate carnivore style diets and i have to stay humble and realize that other people don't have to do that and they can still get good results for what they like and what they believe and what they want to feel like and so yeah. there is those endless amounts of possibilities and and as 
there's, you know, in any industry, when you're trying to help somebody out, it's more like coaching them along and giving them options of things that they can do themselves because you're never going to be able to live their lives anyway. Yep. It's just your job to help them understand the options and pick what's best for them. Yeah. 100%. Wow. Well, I told you at the beginning of this conversation before we started recording that the hour would fly. Um, can you believe it's been an hour? Holy cow, man. <laughs> Flies, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, this has been an awesome conversation. What is one simple tip you would like to leave um, from this conversation for the listener that they can apply in their lives? Yeah. Um, you know, one saying is, or one acronym is KISS, which is keep it simple, stupid. Um, that's something that, you know, always resonates with me. If you want to get better at something, you know, pick pick somewhere to start and create a goal and slowly work towards it. So in this case, being specific with with mobility, ask yourself, why do you want to get that better mobility? Uh, what positions do I need to get into in order to achieve that? And then just set up a game plan and, and start from there. So whether that's I'm going to get a foam roller, I'm going to start foam rolling uh, before my workouts or do a daily practice morning or night uh, or, hey, easy challenge. Uh, try and squat for two minutes a day. Just sit in that bottom position and then progress to three, progress to four. So something simple like that. That's amazing. Very practical. Love the advice. What a fun conversation all about mobility. Jeremy, where do you want people to go to find you and connect with you and your work? Yeah, um, I'm pretty quiet on on social media. Um, you know, right now my focus is a little bit on, um, you know, just working a lifetime. So if you want to get a hold of me, uh, jrank at lt.life. That's J-R-A-N-C-K at lt.life. Uh, more than happy if you just want to shoot me an email. I'm in this to help other people out. So uh, I gain experience with each person I meet. So no strings attached. Come on in. I'll help you out. That's amazing. I know that's a very authentic and genuine uh, offer knowing you and um, your work and getting to work with you for so long and learning from you in the education meetings and elsewhere. I just really appreciate everything that you do. I appreciate your approach to training, the way you take care of your clients and the way you're always educating yourself. It's always been inspiring to me. And I'm so glad you finally joined us for this conversation. This has been great. Thank you so much, Casey. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. It's been an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, we have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas of your body, it's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. 
So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30 minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.